mercy, Father God, for the sacrifice you made for all of us, Jesus, that you love us all, Father God. And it's just such an unbelievable thing that you did and you keep doing for us, Father God, when we feel like we, we don't deserve your love, Father God. You are love, Jesus. You sent the Holy Spirit for us to fill us, Father God, with your love. We are so grateful and thankful for everything that you keep doing, Lord, for the doors you keep opening, for the doors you close. Thank you, Jesus, for this building that we get to come here and be in your presence, Father God. Thank you, Father God, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, Father. Holy Spirit, thank you, Father God. Thank you because you speak to us in dreams, Father God. You reveal your, your glory to us, Father. And you are patient with us, Father God. You're a gentleman to us. And we appreciate that so much, Father God, that you give us free will to come to you when we actually when when we're ready, Jesus. You're not forcing anybody. Cause how would we be if you just made us all like robots over here and we wouldn't be able to find you? You gave us free will, Lord. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you that you're there for us. Anytime that we want to be in your presence, you are there, Jesus. You forgive us, Father God, and your mercy is so grateful. It's like our brains can't even actually capture everything that you do for us. And we, we thank you for that, that you're God and that you're in charge of everything. And we don't have to worry about that. Even though our brains want to go there. Um, thank you, Jesus, because you provide for us every day, Lord. Every day you provide for us, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because all we have to think about is today. And you worry about the rest. You have everything, Lord. And you take care of our vengeance. You are our attorney, Father God. And we are so grateful, Lord, that you love everybody, Father God, and that even when we're at our worst, Father, we thank you, Father God, and we ask that you help those courts tomorrow, Father God, and make a decision, Lord, and all the protests that are going on, Lord, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard for us to try to have everything in us lord but you know we're so thankful that you have everything in your hands lord and and it's all in your hands lord all the government the police lord you know you have everything under control and we just have to give it to you lord just please help the people lord with the protests and the police lord it's it's really hard it's really hard to take it in um but we can trust that you you have it, Lord, and that you are going to touch the judges and, and be there, Lord. That's all we can do is 
leave it, leave it to you, Jesus, that you have protection over everything and you have everything in control in your hands, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord, for allowing us to be here, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. thank you for your kindness thank you for your kindness Father God that you are good, you are loving and you are kind you are gracious full of compassion patient with us thank you Lord thank you that you work all things for the good for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose we thank you God through our imperfect world and our imperfect systems, you seem to make things work for the good. Even when things look dark, when things look gloomy, you, you shine brighter than the sun. Darkness is as light to you. There's nothing that's hidden from your sight. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. We worship you because that's who you are. You are righteous. You are true. You are faithful and just. We praise you tonight, Lord. We worship you. We thank you, God, that we don't have to put on a show in this place, that we just come as we are. We come here as we are to worship you, King Jesus, to center ourselves back on you, to get our, our focus, our gaze back onto you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. First Peter 1 says, to the chosen ones, to the chosen ones who have been scattered like seed into the nations, living as refugees. You are not forgotten, for you have been chosen and destined by Father God the Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers of Jesus Christ, who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. We just thank you tonight, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for all of your promises. All of your promises in your word are yes, and they are amen in Jesus. We thank you that you, you are the one who initiates, you are the one who chooses us as we 
looked at your word last week and we saw how nobody can even come to you, Jesus, unless the Father first draws them to you, that you have chosen us, those of us who belong to you. Somehow we can't understand how it works, but you tell us in your word that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world to be yours. And so tonight, God, in this place, we know that your voice is going out in this room. Your voice is going out not only in this place, but throughout our city. And you are calling people to yourself. And they may think it's their choice, but it's you who are choosing. You are the one who's calling. You are the one who's drawing. And those of us tonight who who know your voice and know that calling and drawing out, we respond to you and we surrender to you. We say, here we are. Here I am. I'm yours, Lord. I belong to you. You paid the price for me. You sacrificed your life and poured out your own blood. You took my sin and my shame upon yourself and you offered to give me your complete holiness and righteousness and perfection through faith in you. So I respond, we respond. We tuck ourselves under your wing tonight. We hide ourselves under under all that you have provided for us. We just love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that when we come before you, you do hear our voice. God, that we can petition you, God, in the heavenly realms, and you will intervene, Father. God, we pray that you awaken souls tonight. Awaken our city tonight, Father. Awaken our city tonight, Father. Just praise your name. Our goal here at Legacy City Church is to just pray everybody into a trance. So, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. But, you know, really, when you just sense the peace of God, you know, the Bible says the, it's the peace of God. Well, Paul prayed this. He prayed that the peace of God, that it transcends. It goes up and beyond all of our understanding as we place our faith in, in Christ Jesus So he prayed that, may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your heart and your mind through faith in Christ Jesus. As long as we can do this, we're just going to sit with you guys. We're just going to pretend we're back in the living room at the house again. And that was kind of the design that we wanted to set this up to not feel like you know, church, everyone facing one direction, even though it still kind of feels that way. Might have to tweak the chairs a little more, make it more of a circle, but 
we just want this to be home. We want this to be a safe place for all of us to be, to just to be ourselves. We can make mistakes. You know, we can, we can uh, stumble across our words that we're reading. If we're reading scriptures, you know, we can pray and, and uh, not worry about it sounding perfect. You know, there's, there's no performance here. This is not a performance. We're not trying to uh, draw a crowd by wowing people with great messages that, I mean, hopefully the messages, you know, aim towards greatness, but uh, that's not the, the goal is not to impress. Yeah, we're not trying to impress. You know, although we do want to do whatever we do with, with excellence on it, we want to take what God has given us and, and we want to bless it and we want to use it and move forward with excellence because God is, he's an excellent God. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's a provider and he's just worthy of us putting our all into whatever we do for him, um, just because that's the, the response he deserves. Everybody doing good? I'm excited. Next week, I think, possibly in the next week, two weeks at the most, we will have our, our sign outside the building. It'll be lit up at night with new LED lights, so it should be really nice and bright. And... Uh, you know, we want, our, we want our church to stand out. We want it to not look like just another suite in a strip mall, but we want people to be like, oh, there's an actual church in that place. Not because we just hope to get as many people crammed into the building as possible, but we know that what God has given us as a church, we have every church in the city has a unique angle, a unique DNA, um, we're all centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ, but each church carries a different mix. We all have different gifting mixes and different, um, and I've shared this before, some churches might have a homeless outreach ministry, um, and they do it with excellence, and we don't need to replicate that. That's not what God has called us to do. We want to bless and support the church that does have a homeless outreach, like the Refuge Church and coffee oasis because they're doing it they're doing it well and we can support them in their effort and add to we can actually bridge into what they're doing and if you have a call on your life to to touch and minister to the homeless youth of bremerton then then we would extend our help into that place we would encourage people to look in that direction we don't have to do it all over again with that said, our call, our heartbeat in this church that Tammy and I have been carrying for a long time now is to train and equip the saints. We, we are an Ephesians 4.11 ministry or the fivefold ministry-based church. We believe, as Ephesians 4.11 says, that Christ gave gifts to the church. These gifts, we know through studying that passage, are considered offices. They aren't, they're not just uh, gifts like we all have spiritual gifts, but not everybody functions in the office of a prophet. So the Ephesians 4:11 says, when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts, gifts to the church. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for a purpose, not to just feed you every week so that you're dependent on the pastor to do all of the ministry. That's, that's a model that the American and probably worldwide church has fallen into much over the, 
over the centuries, at least if not in just the decades. But the plan of Jesus in the scriptures is the plan of God was that when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to the body of Christ. He gave gifts to us. And these gifts are people that function in an anointing that is like an office or a position in the body of Christ to equip the rest of us. So not everyone is a pastor. Not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone is a prophet or an apostle or an evangelist. But those gifts were given to the body of Christ to equip us to be apostolic. And someday we can go into that a little bit more. That's not today's uh, focus, but we can talk about what does it mean to be apostolic. We're going to actually lean into just a smidgen tonight, but we won't be using the word apostle. We'll be actually looking at the word church and what church really means when Jesus said, I will build my church. Um, Not everyone is a prophet, but the, the prophet comes to the body of Christ to equip the rest of us to hear the voice of God and teach us how to prophesy. The evangelist's purpose is not just to do all of the evangelism while we sow into their ministry. There's, that's good to pay and to sow into a ministry that's effective. But the, the chief aim of the evangelist is to equip the saints to do evangelism. The pastor, his gift is to equip the saints the people of God, to have a pastoral heart, to care for your neighbor, to care for the broken, the, the lonely. And the anointing of the teacher is to equip the saints to know how to handle the word and to be teachable, to be able to teach and be teachable, just like the gifted teacher should be teachable and never arrive, but always be teachable and ready to teach, ready to Uh, give a reason for the hope that we have at all times. So our heartbeat as Legacy City Church is to be an equipping church. We want to see all of the saints of God, all of the believers that God would bring to us, we want to see them rise up into their full identity, their full inheritance, all of the things that God has prepared and planned for you and me to walk in. We want to equip people to go out. We want to go out of the building and do the work of ministry. So that's why we would say we're an Ephesians 4.11 based church, because that's our foundation. We want that to be deep into the foundation of what we do and always keep that before us, that our purpose, our purpose for being here is to worship Jesus and to enjoy his presence as a body of believers and to train and equip and release our people. You come to the huddle, you get some goods, you take it with you out the door, and you practice it throughout the week. That's, that's the goal. So we've been talking about identity in the last few weeks. And I know not everyone's been able to be here for each one of those. Um, but we, we talked, first of all, the importance of realizing that, that God um, calls you son or daughter. That before anything else, you are a child of God. That when Jesus went to the cross for you, it was to bring you home to the Father, that you would be identifying yourself as a son or daughter of God. That is who you are. No matter what your ministry is, no matter what your function is, whether it's a mom raising children or whatever you do, whatever your ministry is, if it changes, who you truly are does not change because when it comes down back to the final line, it's who you are 
you are a son or you are a daughter. And Jesus has reconciled you to his father. And we have the privilege of worshiping God as our dad, as our, as our father God, our daddy God. So we went deep into that for one Sunday. And then I don't remember um, if we did consecutively. I think it might have been Easter the following week. But then <clears throat> last week, we uh, went into the whole thing about what, it, what does it mean to be chosen? Because 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, I believe, which we're going to look at um, in a couple minutes here, it says that you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people that, a, a holy nation. So there's several parts of what God says about you that are really important for us to unpack and really grab hold of for ourselves. If you don't know who you are, you will wander the earth like an orphan, not really knowing who your true father is. And our heart is that you would know who your daddy God is, who your father is, that you would not have an orphan spirit, but that you would know the authority and the purpose that he has placed on your life when you gave your life to him. We good? Everybody good so far? Okay. Did she just pinch you? Oh. I would do that Simpsons laugh, but I won't. <laughs> I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking of, there was a woman years and years ago, I was a mom of young kids, and she really stressed the importance of knowing what season you're in. And it kind of goes back to knowing your identity and who you are. There's going to be seasons when you're not going to be in ministry. You're going to be a mom to your kids. You're going to you have a season where you're ministering or, or whatever. Um, but that's why it's important to know who we are and always have our ear turned to him so we know what season are we supposed to be in and um, so we can move with him. Yeah, last year was really confusing for me. Not only did we lose the building that we did church in, but we weren't able to, to do much ministry for at least a month and a half. Two weeks to slow the curve. That's what we were told. And then that drug on and on. And just for me, it just happened to be a time where I, I hit a dark season. I just had no desire in me to do anything. I, it was actually perfect timing for me because God was used the shutdown to allow me just to, just to find my, my center again, be centered back on Jesus and not just doing stuff for, for God. And it was a busy time, a lot of transition for us as a family, uh, moving and all that. But th that was a perfect example for me to wonder, you know, who am I? I, I, knew, I know who I am, and I knew a year ago who I was. And I knew that I find comfort in knowing that I just can be a son to the Father, that I can come to Jesus every minute of every hour, and I can just rest at his feet because ultimately that's what he wants you and I to walk in, and that is his rest. See, we as humans have this tendency to, to feel like we got to perform for God. we got to do stuff to make him happy, but that's not true. Jesus paid it all. He did all of the work for us. He says, you know, come to me, you who are weary and who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's like, take my yoke upon you because it's light, it's easy. My burden is light. He does not have it in his heart to crush you and to give you this huge list of do's and don'ts. Now, that's not to say he won't pull you into 
a ministry where you're, you will be poured out, as Paul says, like a drink offering, you know, that might be what he prepares and calls you to do, but that is not, that is not your destiny. That is not your ultimate end. Your ultimate end is to know God and to glorify him, to know Jesus and glorify him. Something that we hold tightly to is when you don't feel peace anymore and you're like, mm, I'm losing my peace, so this may not be my peace to play. So, yeah, know your peace and your peace. Does that make sense? Know what your peace is. People will try to put stuff on your plate, and they'll, they'll not care about what your piece of the pie is that God has given you, and they'll just want to start putting their stuff on you to do. And you may not be called to that. And that's, that's where we get to learn to draw boundary lines and say, you know what? I'm not called to this. As much as you feel like I should be doing the things that you want me to do, that's not my calling. That will be a challenge that I will have, and most of us in this room will have, probably all of us, at some point in life, especially in ministry, people will want you to do their thing. They will want you to take on their ministry. So... <clears throat> We start out by being a son or a daughter. Let's just take a look. So tonight we're just going to dive in. This will be a one Sunday evening uh, dive into our identity as a royal priesthood. So let's take a look at this first scripture here. This is from John chapter 1. <clears throat> I can't remember exactly which verses, but it's in the first, uh, I think it's verse 10-ish. It's actually verse 12, but a little bit before that. So it says, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So let's just get that straight right now. Jesus Christ is God, and he is the creator of the universe. So if anyone comes to tell you that he is just the brother of Lucifer, or just an angel, or he was just a good man, or a prophet, you know, but he wasn't God, you know, he wasn't, he's not the creator. Well, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that he is God, and that all things were made by him. So th even though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, re referring to the Jewish people. But to all who did receive him, that's you and me, if you've received Jesus, if you said yes to him, if you said yes, I need you in my life, please save me, please forgive me, this is where you stand. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. Now, a lot of our folks in this room, especially my kids, have heard me kind of go on a tangent on this verse many times. But it's really important. You know, it's good to go back to this because when you realize that word, the right, he gave you the right, that word is exousia. I used to say it wrong, but I liked how I used to say it better. Exousia. It just sounded like, whew, like a ride or something. But it's exousia. He gave you the right. He gave you exousia, the Greek word meaning regal authority. If you don't know what regal is, think of rulers. Think of people wearing crowns or uh, like in the Roman, in the time of the Romans where the, the different people in government and leadership, they wore like, uh, what do you call those things? It was like not a garland, but they had these little crowns. They wore crowns on their heads to distinguish their function in, in government and in ruling and reigning. But we have been given regal authority. You, as a Christian, you may not even know what that means yet, but as a believer in Jesus, 
you've been given regal authority to become a child of God. You get the fun of unpacking that. You get the joy of unfolding and digging into the word and going into God and saying, God, show me, teach me your ways. Show me what this means. What is this authority that I've been given? How do I use this authority? What am I to do with it? Am I just to keep it to myself and, and hold on tight until I get to heaven one day or what? But he says he gave you the right, the, the exousia, to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, born of the Spirit. And we talked about that in the last couple of weeks, that when you received Christ, you were born again. You received the seed, the, the spora of God, the seed of God into your spirit, which caused you to become this new creation life. The old person before Jesus came into your life is dead and buried, crucified with Christ on the cross, buried with him in his, his death and burial, and resurrected into this new life in Christ. You are a new creation, something that has never walked on the earth before, but it's all on the inside. People will say, well, you kind of look like the same person, although you look a little more shiny and happy. Um, something's shifted in you, but, but, you know, I see you on the outside, but there's something changed. You're a different person now. And that's what God does when we're born of him. He gives us the seed of his spirit, that, that birth of Jesus, like Jesus being born into the manger of your heart. And he's like an infant Jesus living inside of you. Well, actually, you're the one that's the infant. He's, he's the one that's going to nurture and mature and grow you up into becoming like a little baby Christian pooping in your diapers to a toddler learning how to go on your own and clean yourself up to a full-on adult who, where you get to take care of baby Christians and change their diapers. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? It's a never-ending process of being in a family. <clears throat> so congratulations, you have all become a part of the family of God, and whether you're there yet or not, you will someday be changing spiritual diapers. You'll, you'll mature and strengthen up into a, an adult, a, a fully mature son or daughter of God who gets to parent you get to parent people. You get to disciple people, discipline lovingly with grace and affection. Okay, here we are. This is First Peter chapter 2. You guys doing okay? Okay. I'm trying to watch the clock here, Emily. You be my reminder. Just go like this. Hey, holy. And I'll be like, oh, that's my cue. You are God's chosen treasure. We stressed that last week. I love the theme. It, it sparked, it, it woke something up in me last week when I, two weeks ago, when I was really just soaking in the theme of what it means that God actually chose me. Yeah, we do have free will, and you were praying that. We have free will, and it's, it's a mystery how our freedom to choose actually is not always our choice. In other words, God is the initiator. He goes after you because Romans 3 says there is no one who seeks after God. No one. Nobody calls out for him. No one seeks him. We've all become like empty tombs. I'm not, not going to read the whole scripture. I could look it up, but look at Romans chapter 3. There, there is none. We have all gone astray. We've all wandered off, and Jesus comes running after us. He's the one who pursues the, the, the Father is the one that draws us to Jesus. 
he's probably drawing you right now if you have never surrendered your life to him. He's, he's wooing your heart. He's pulling you with his cords of love. And that is him. That is him speaking to you, talking to you, calling your heart to belong to him. He's the initiator. So you're a chosen people, a chosen treasure. You are kings who are priests. Now, this is the Passion Translation. Other translations will say a royal priesthood. Um, but I like how the Passion Translation says, you are priests who are kings. See, your number one ministry in life is to minister worship unto the Lord. You might have a ministry to reach the homeless or start a church or whatever, but actually my number one ministry, your number one ministry, is to be a worshiper of Jesus, to be a priest in your own house, to go about the altar of the Lord at, in, the, in the night hours, lifting holy hands, worshiping him, praising him, creating an atmosphere of his glory in your own dwelling place, and then taking that glory with you. Whatever you do in the secret place will overflow out of you, out in the public. So you are a priest, but you're a king. You're priests who are kings. You carry royalty. You have been born again of the imperishable seed of God himself. God is king of the universe. He rules and reigns in righteousness. He is holy. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. And that king of kings came to put the life of his spirit, the life of Jesus, inside of you. And now you have royalty living inside of you. You have become royalty. You're a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. We're actually a new nation. I might be an Anglo-Saxon white dude. Uh, Anna, you know, you're, what, what's your nationality again? Guad I was going to say it, but I didn't want to be wrong. You know, you may have a Guatemalan nationality. Tao's Hawaiian. Um, what is it? I, I don't remember. Anyway, I won't tease you, but it's not, it wouldn't be teasing, but uh, Clayton's mom's side of the family's got some Middle Eastern, right? Basically, Armenian, something like that. Anyway, so it doesn't matter what your nationality that you were born into on the earth is or was. What's important is that you are now, but you've been birthed into a spiritual nation, in, in the nation of God, in, in this holy nation, there no longer is Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all just on the same playing field. We are now under the kingship of Jesus. We are citizens of heaven, and heaven is our nation. The kingdom of God is our nation. So it's, it's okay to, I'm not saying it's bad to, you know, focus on your nationality, because I think we need to cherish our traditions and especially our food recipes, Anna. <clears throat> pupusas and all that good stuff. You know, I, I was just saying, don't, you know, don't, I'm not encouraging people to give away or toss away all of your traditions and things that come from your natural ancestry. You know, I don't know if Tao makes poi or not, but I heard it tastes pretty gross. But anyway, um, she could make us some, some spam uh, musabi. Is it musabi? Anyway, okay, I'll, I'll move on. But the fact is, more importantly, your spiritual nationality overrides, it, it rules over what you were born from. Here's the, uh, what is this from? This was like the Passion Translation's footnotes for that verse, priests who are kings. The nouns are in a position. I guess that's how you say that. I should have looked the word up. A position, a position. 
a group of kings or a priesthood or a king's household. So just kind of soak that in. This is talking about who you are. You may feel like you're nothing special in this world, but God says, no, you are a group of kings. You are a priesthood. You are a king's household. There are other possible ways to translate it, such as a priesthood of kings or a kingdom of priests. That's pretty cool. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 5 in the Passion Translation, verse 17. Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, thank you, Adam, thank you, Eve, by the death of the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah? That, my friends, is a good scripture to stick on the bathroom mirror. God has called you to rule and reign, to reign in life as a king or a queen. You know, ladies, you don't have to be kings if you don't want. And although us guys have to consider ourselves the bride of Christ, so you know, I guess you could be kings. But God has given you grace to rule and reign in your life to take dominion. When you're a king, you're a ruler, and rulers take dominion. They dominate over their sphere that they've been put in charge of. We get to take dominion over our lives, even over your own body. You get to rule and reign over your own flesh. Your body may be saying, go buy that candy bar, go, go buy that Trenta mocha frappuccino with car- caramel sauce, and even though it's like 20,000 calories. You know, your body may want that. I may want to go buy a cheeseburger at 8 o'clock in the morning. But God has given me power. He's given me authority to rule and reign over my own body and beyond. <laughs> Did you have a Trenta mocha frappuccino? I got to figure out if this is where I'm supposed to be. Okay, so this is from, that's what it was. I've got the scripture references on my phone here, so I didn't have to wonder what I was looking at. Okay, so that was Romans 5, 17. So this next scripture, we got like three more verses to go and a little bit of uh, footnotes. I really want to share with you guys. I borrowed it. I stole it from someone else, but it was so well-spoken. I thought it would be really beneficial for all of us to to absorb it together. So I'm just going to, I'm not plagiarizing. I'm just borrowing. But this is the Bible here. So Matthew uh, 16, 18 says, again, the Passion Translation, I give you the name Peter. This is Jesus speaking, which means a stone. And this is after Jesus said, who do you say I am? And he says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you did not receive this through human revelation, but this this came to you from the Father. But he says, so I, I give you the name Peter even though his name was Simon, which means like a, a reed or a blade of grass. He's like, I say that you are Peter, a stone. And this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. Now that word church in the Greek is ecclesia. Excuse me, I was saying it wrong. Ecclesia. In the Greek, it's, say it with me, guys. Help me out. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Okay. 
Not ecclesia, it's ecclesia. Just like it's not exousia, it's exousia. Okay, so this is your Greek lesson for the night. You are the ecclesia. Now, many of us, when we see that word church, we think of, you know, here's the door, here's the steeple, open the door, here's all the people. The church is a building, right? No, this is just a building that we're sitting in. It's actually a suite. It's not even its own private special building on its own property. You and me are the church. The church is a living, breathing body of people. And so we don't have crosses on our, some of us wear crosses. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. But you're not a walking steeple. You're not a walking building. You are the ecclesia, which is, according to the Passion Translation, he says, I will build, on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. Hmm, that's interesting. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom. This is pretty big stuff, guys. This is not fantasy writing here. This is actually the Spirit of God trying to communicate to us what God has given us. You are my church, my ecclesia, my legislative assembly. The power of death will not be able to overpower you or my church, my ecclesia. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. You have been given regal authority to bind on earth what is bound in heaven and loose on earth what has been loosed in heaven. Here's some footnotes. Um, This is from, if you want a good app to put on your phone, a guy named Dutch Sheets. Sounds like a type of linens you can buy, like Egyptian sheets, but it's his name. Dutch Sheets has this really good app that you can download and put it on your phone. It's called Give Him 15 and it's just like a 15-minute devotional you can look at every morning. And Dutch Sheets, is a, he's like an apostolic intercessory. Uh, pa- he pastors the intercessor world, the, the world of prayer warriors. He's just kind of overseeing a, a giant prayer movement, and he's pastoring it, pastors it well. But he gives some good teaching and some good things to pray for. But this was what he said about the ecclesia. You guys ready for this? This is good stuff. Okay, here we go. An ecclesia is an assembly of people called out of the populace to govern the affairs of a city or nation. In essence, it was a city council, parliament, or congress. To the Romans, so this word was a Roman word. It was not a typical Bible word. Jesus said, I will build, he didn't say, I will build my temple or I will build my synagogues. He said, I will build my ecclesia. And to the Romans, it says, it was a group of people sent into a conquered region to rule it, but also to alter the culture until it becomes like Rome. In other words, the ecclesia in the Roman thinking was this group of people that were governing leaders that were to go into a newly conquered territory and Romanize that place until it, to alter its culture until it becomes like Rome, realizing that this was the ideal way to control their empire. So this was a Roman thing. This was a, a thing in their thinking to conquer territory and Romanize it. They changed government, social structure, language, 
schools, etc., until the people talked, thought, and acted like, and considered themselves Romans. When Jesus said he would build his church, he was without question speaking of a body of people that would legislate spiritually for him, extending his kingdom rule over the earth. This is kind of a shift in thinking. Jesus didn't just save you to hide out in a building and sing kumbaya and wait for the rapture to happen. Now, it's good to wait for Jesus to return. It's good to wait for the rapture and anticipate his return. It's good to gather together and sing, well, something other than kumbaya. But that is not the purpose of why we are here on the earth. He saved us to become the sons and daughters of God who carry the authority, royal authority, to bring heaven's dominion here on earth. <clears throat> that's, yeah, that's partly why our church is different, because not all churches come at things with this angle. <clears throat> this is still the, the notes from Dutch uh, about a week ago. In this first decree announcing the church, Jesus was saying that he would raise up a kingdom government on earth, which hell's government wouldn't prevail over. He followed this declaration by saying he would give his ecclesia keys, keys which symbolize authority. Keys lock and they unlock in order to close or open. You and I have been given authority in the form of spiritual keys. We have, we have been given, I want to say permission, but it's, it's permission to exercise the authority of heaven on God's behalf. He wants us to execute his will on the earth. He, that sounds scary when I said execute. He wants us to enforce his dominion wherever he shows you to enforce it. Obviously, that does not mean violence. We don't, you know, we all heard about the Crusades, how they tried to Christianize the world through force, kind of like the, you know, the nation of Islam in some nations by force, caught, forces people to become a convert. But Jesus gave us spiritual keys to unlock things from heaven to be released here on the earth. And much of it does influence our natural government, our natural school systems, our media, our culture in all various ways, people's families. There is a spiritual activity happening all around us at all times. There is a spiritual battle at place. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm, Paul said in Ephesians 6. So Jesus is giving us keys to unlock things. He's given you permission. Christ was declaring his church would have keys, authority, to lock the gates or the government of hell. Government just means rulership. Who rules over your life? Who rules over my life? Who is ruling over our governmental systems? Christ declared to you and me that he is giving us keys to lock the gates of hell and to open the gates or the government of heaven. How is this accomplished? Here's the key, guys. And this is why I encourage us to open our mouths. I know when you worship, when we're together singing songs, that not all of us are comfortable with our voices. Not everybody wants to just lift up a loud shout to God, you know, especially if you're, you're cool and, you know, you, maybe your siblings are watching you or something and you don't want them to think, oh, my gosh, what are they doing? They're spiritual. 
Yeah, there's, there's, anyway, I, I know how it is because I was very shy with my voice. I did not like to speak in front of people, and I did not want to sing out loud because my voice wasn't that great. Practice does help, okay? Just saying. But there's something important about your mouth, about your words, about the power of your tongue. The Bible says that God has put the power of life and death in your tongue. There is something powerful about your decree when you speak something out, especially when you are declaring the things of heaven that God has, has told us to declare. It, it has an effect. It releases something in the spiritual, in the unseen realm. So this is accomplished. These keys of locking and unlocking are accomplished primarily, not only, but primarily through declarations and decrees made for God. Okay, we make these decrees for him on his behalf. He is king, and we get to extend his kingship through our declaration. Sometimes it's not about petitions made to God. It's decrees made for him. So when we need something from God, we request, we petition. We say, Father, provide for me my daily bread. I, I need this bill paid for. I need this breakthrough. Uh, I'm petitioning heaven that you would come, that you would, you would uh, interrupt this situation. You know, there are places to petition God to come do something. But then when we're dealing with the powers of darkness and their plans, the last part there, we command and decree. This is how Jesus told us to pray. Matt, probably not much of anything, but I think a decree is a little more um, commanding, whereas a declaration is just speaking out. I think it, I would have to look into that and really see if there's a nuance. One might be a little more forceful. Yes. Definitely. There's a lot of there's a lot of scripture that talks. I mean, there's books written about declarations. We used to have a stack of books by Steve Backland. He's one of our favorite guys from Bethel who goes deep into the power of our spoken words and declarations. Yes. Isaiah. The, the biggest example that all of us have is following Jesus' ministry. So Jesus is perfect theology. Yeah, we do want to look at the Old Testament because God did tell Isaiah to prophesy over those dead bones. He told him to basically make the decree or declaration. Not to say, God, would you bring these bones alive? But no, you, as the prophet of God, speak over the dry bones. Call to the winds, call to the spirit to come and breathe on these dry bones. So that's an Old Testament example. Jesus in the New Testament gave us examples of how he, better knock it off back there, Emily. They ask questions, I'm answering their questions. So she's like, holy, time's up. We're almost done. I'm trying to ramble here. So Jesus is our, our example. When a woman had a fever, he rebuked it. He, he commanded that fever to leave her body. He spoke 
authoritative commands. Yes, he, Jesus, is God and was God walking in the flesh. He is fully 100% human, fully 100% God in the flesh, but he did not walk in his own right as God. He laid down his own rights as God, and he took on the form of a human, the form of, of a servant, and the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism, and everything he did in ministry was not out of his own deity, but it was out of a human being anointed by the Spirit of God. He never ceased to be God. He was always 100% fully God and fully man. But everything he did in ministry was as a human anointed by the Spirit of God. He spent time with the Father. He said, I only do what I hear the Father, uh, or what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father saying. So he had intimacy with God. He knew what the Father wanted him to do and speak. And that is how he functioned in ministry. He carried the anointing of heaven. The woman with the issue of blood grabbed the hem of his garment and got healed. And Jesus felt the anointing go out of his body. He felt it leave. So he carried the presence of the Spirit of God everywhere he went and ministered out of that anointing. That's what it means to be Christ, means anointed one, the one who is anointed with the Spirit. This is how we pray. I'm going to just read through this so we can get, get it done. Are you guys good? Other than Emily, is everybody else good? Okay. This is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So back into the notes that Dutch was sharing. Jesus told us to command his kingdom rule, to come and will to be done. The verbs come and be are in the imperative Greek tense, meaning a command. So this might shift how you read the Lord's Prayer. Basically, it's Jesus's model of how we should pray. In, in the imperative Greek tense, meaning a command, Christ was saying, Jesus was saying, command my kingdom rule, and it will come forth. See, God wants his kingdom to come forth, but he, he has given us the position, the, the right, the grace, to take what he wants and for us to declare it with authority. We're not commanding God to do things. We're agreeing with what he wants us to command, and we're allowing God to use our mouth to speak out his authority. Does that make sense? So you can practice this. Practice it over your cat or whatever. You know. <laughs> I command you fleas to jump off. You know. <clears throat> my, my parents thought there was uh, some bugs in the house, and we had just come back from a conference, and I just felt like, you know what, we're going to take authority over it. He wanted to spray things and do all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I was like, you know what? Let's take authority. And so we prayed. We, we commanded any of those bugs in the house to die and to cease. He didn't see another one. And he kept seeing them in the window and on the wall and stuff before, but they're gone. Not saying that, you know, is going to be effective every time. But I think as you walk in faith and grow in your faith and authority, you can see mountains move. Jesus said, Speak to that mountain, and it will be moved. So we want to learn how to command the will of God, the, the rule and reign of King Jesus. We want to command his rule into the earth. We want to be forceful 
We want to take it by force. <laughs> Is everybody good? We're going we're gonna to hurry. Hurry, hurry. Okay. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Boom. Microphone drop. I'm not even going to expound on that. It says what it says. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Guess what we're here to do? Destroy the works of the devil. 